Welcome back to the DC Threecast. We are down a man tonight. It is just Zach and myself. Vince had some surgery the other day, and uh, he's hurting a little bit. So get well soon, Vince, and we'll have you back next week. Um, how you doing, Zach? I'm doing great. This was a good week of comics. It was. Uh, there were a couple of exceptions, but for the most part, this was a super strong week of DC. So we are we're kind of breaking our own rules here, although not really because it's our podcast, so we get to make the rules. But uh, we're going to talk about two non-rebirth books relatively up front. Um, we're going to start by talking about Doom Patrol, number one, the launch book for a young animal written by Gerard Way, illustrated by Nick Darrington, Darrington, I think of the gene there the first time. Um, this book is very interesting to me. Um, I had I had mentioned in the, uh, the internal Multiversity email thread that I felt there was a lot of really interesting, fun stuff in here, but I felt the issue was a little bit light on story. Uh, Zach, do you agree with that or no? Um... Yes, just in that it kind of it kind of just ends. Yeah, like like I feel like it should have um, continued a little bit more past. Like I was I was taken aback at the the point where the story ends. Um, but I think there's a lot of good stuff in here for. Um, fans of previous doom patrol incarnations there's a lot of stuff to unpack it's not a it's not a um light issue by any means no it's not i felt like there was there was a lot of ideas and a lot of cool references and a lot of uh, easter eggs maybe for lack of a better term but i felt like it was a bit of a tough book for somebody who's never read doom patrol before to walk into and not just because of those uh references and things like that just also because you know a lot of weird interesting stuff happens you know there is a world inside of a euro (laughs) that kind of gets sprung on the world there's uh you know there's (laughs) there's a lot of interesting stuff happening here yeah you know it's it's really interesting so one of the first books that I read when I was really getting into comics was the um, Giffen and Matthew Clark Doom Patrol that uh-huh. came out uh, like right after Final Crisis or around then that time. Did that um, have a Metal Men backup in it or who was the it backup? Did, yeah, it did. Metal Men with okay. uh, Giffen, Demetrius, and uh, McGuire. Yeah. Um, that book was also kind of equally impenetrable um, for like a lot of the same reasons. I think that this book might be, it was, it was, it was less weird. Although the first story arc did do with, it had to, had to deal with a a sentient black hole. Um, So there were, you know, it still had like some of those ideas and, and, and I, you know, I think that's maybe something that's just kind of inherent to, a lot of doom patrol incarnations like it's just such a weird or it's become such a weird property over time um and i think this new incarnation really captures that perfectly yeah in some ways this felt very much like a rebirth book mm-hmm. because i feel like 
it was cherry picking bits of the past that it wanted to continue in the way that I feel like a lot of like it, the rebirth books didn't do that with continuity, but it did that to me with character traits. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it, it, we, we want to show, uh, I'm trying to think of a character. Like Supergirl is a great example. Like we want Supergirl to be more optimistic. Like she was on the show. We also want to have her supporting cast, be you know cat grant who was introduced in the sterling gates you know like it was it very much assembled the best version of the character and i feel like in a lot of ways this is assembling the best version of the doom patrol does that make sense yeah yeah i agree it has a lot of elements that you've seen elsewhere that you don't normally see together right yeah a lot of throwbacks like like cliff has his um grant morrison look Mm -hmm. with the the leather jacket with the metal shoulder pads. Um, but then there are also, you know, there's a, there's a reference about halfway to through to the Giffen run with the, the character wearing the Oolong Island shirt. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's what that was a reference to. Um, yeah. Just kind of like, like you said, just cherry picking elements and, and character traits more so than like continuity, because it does seem kind of like it is, more or less kind of like following along with continuity however like you know scattered and bizarre the doom patrol continuity has been it seems like it's kind of taking everything right well here's my question which we don't have an answer to so i'm warning our listeners in advance but like is this part of the rebirth continuity uh yeah i don't know because we saw robot man not that long ago in um justice league united yeah, well, and actually, and we, I think the whole Doom Patrol showed up in um, Justice League right after Forever Evil. Yes, you're right about that. Um, was it the whole Doom Patrol? It was pretty close to the whole Doom I think, Patrol. I think so. Um, I'm pretty sure there were two teams. One that was kind of the, like, second stringers from the... Um, I think it was the second or third volume of Doom Patrol that had like, um, uh, I think it was, it's like Celsius. Was that a, or is it, I think it's Celsius Mm -hmm. and like a few of those, like not as well known Doom Patrol characters, but then later on, like robot man and negative, uh, man and, and the, uh, elastic woman elastic girl whichever whatever she goes by yeah, i think they yeah. all showed up in that in that arc like right after forever evil now let's see how good your dc trivia is here zach okay who was the first member of the doom patrol to show up in the new 52 and what book did they show up in it was i want to say it was robot man in my greatest adventure nope before then Okay, let me think. And calling this person a member might be a little bit of a stretch. Do you mean Beast Boy and Ravagers? No, no, he, no. He wasn't technically, but he's affiliated. Um, no, th- this is long before then. Long before Ravagers? There's not much more before Ravagers. Ravagers was wave two, wasn't it? Yeah, but this is in like, the first wave. There was like a year, so there's a in the first year. I want to say even in the first arc, if not the first issue, 
Not the first issue. First R. I'm going to kick myself for not knowing this. Um, I'll give you a clue. It was in Teen Titans. Oh, you're right. It was Danny. It was Danny the Street. Yeah. That's right. Man, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Because, yeah. again, like if this is part of continuity, then then we've seen Danny before. That's right. Man, I totally forgot about that. That was so long ago. I, I remember that I being... I plucked out a lot of the Scott Hotel Titans. <laughs> well, I tried to hold on to that as like, maybe this run won't be so bad. Danny the Street's in it. Man. Yeah, it's kind of weird how the Doom Patrol was just kind of like scattered, like sprinkled all throughout the New 52, but it never really amounted to anything. To me, kind that's of a, kind of a, like a lot of the fourth world stuff. Yeah, well, to me, that represents like here's something that the creatives that are making these books really enjoy, but doesn't sell that well. So let's try and find a room for let's try and find room for these characters without giving them their own book that's inevitably going to be canceled in eight issues. Yeah, the but, art in this book is fantastic. Oh man, it's so good, and it's just it's so varied as well. Like I love the transition into the into the Euro world, mm-hmm. um, with that kind of like sketchy, yep, uh, like colored pencil look. Yeah, um, and then. Just the the way it's presented and and paced, you know, the weird kind of like little interludes, like the uh, the Niles Calder yep. inter- that page. Um, man, it's just such a. I I really enjoyed this. This was probably my favorite thing this week, which is high praise because there were several things this week that I really enjoyed. To me, this is like it's gonna it's going to be a great beginning to the series. Mm-hmm. I hope, you know, I just right. wish there was a little bit more story there just because I, I think of this as one of those books where if somebody was really excited about Young Animal but never read Doom Patrol before and you give them this book, I don't know if they're going to be as excited about Young Animal now. Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely being marketed to a certain type of reader, I think, you know, the... The Us? The Us, yeah. I mean, this is... This is DC kind of recapturing old Vertigo. Um, yeah. Even so much in that the the afterword is dedicated to, you know, Gerard Way dedicated the it to uh, Shelley Bond. Yeah. Um, and, he, you know, like, I think this is a great step for DC. And, and you know, Gerard Way, um, he hasn't done a lot relatively like a lot in comics but what he has done is i think fairly well respected i think umbrella academy is very well regarded and you know some of the other things and he has a fan base onto himself like outside of comics um it's really funny actually my wife works at a bookstore and um I, i i may have been talking about this book or just gerard way in general actually no i Gerard Way wasn't involved at all, but she um, was talking about like graphic novels that people come in and ask for. And she was like, what's this, this book called like fabulous life. Um, and I was like, uh, is it like fabulous life of the, of something killjoys. Kill, yeah. Something killjoys. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's it. And I was like, oh yeah, that's the, uh, 
that's Gerard Way's, uh, that was My Chemical Romance's tie-in for their last album. And she's like, oh yeah, people have been coming in and asking for that like crazy. And I'm like, that's really weird. That book came out oh, probably about two years ago. At least, yeah. Yeah, so um, he, yeah, his name still carries weight, I think, even though he hasn't been in the limelight as much. But yeah. it's, it's an interesting move for DC and I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, so I know I can speak for Vince on this one, um, but is, uh, I presume all three of us are, are pulling this, right? I feel like we'd be crazy not to. <laughs> um, really quick, though, before we move on, what did you think of the, the Shade the Changing Girl preview in the back? Um, I think it looks pretty good. I yeah. mean, uh, my concern is always just, you know, how much can you really glean from a three or four page preview? But, I mean, it's as good as a three or four page preview is going to be. Yeah. For, you know, for me. It was actually pretty lengthy. I think it was only, it, was, it was actually six pages. Was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I, I was actually kind of surprised by Oh, you're right. Page. Yeah. Um, It was almost like a backup story unto itself. Which I thought was interesting, but I thought that was also like a great pull to get people excited about this line. Yeah, um, this was a good first issue package, I think. Oh, absolutely! It would have been better if Tom Shioli's uh, superpowers was in the back of it. When is that? It hasn't been solicited, so I don't know. Okay, I had is heard it, it was going to oh. be in Shade, but okay. I don't. I don't know if that's fact or not. Interesting. I have a feeling that. Each month, they might do what they did right here with Shade, where when a book launches, there'll be the preview for the next book in the back of all of them. And so maybe once the four books are, are rolled out, then we'll see it. I This is like very fertile ground. I'm interested to see if this line stays at the four books or if it continues to grow. Um, because even the, you know, the Hanna-Barbera line is has is preparing to grow i think are they adding a jetson's book they're adding a jetson's book yes so so i mean if if those books if that line warrants expanding i i would really hope that this something like this would as well we need to do a night soon maybe, maybe the next time that there is a, a fifth week in the month mm-hmm. where we have an instead of taking the off week really dive into the numbers around those hanna-barbera books that'd be a good idea just to see if they're because if they're adding a jetson's book they have to be selling something Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. But, you know, I think sales are going to be a part of this. And I also think that this depends how much time Way has or how much creative control he's willing to give up to somebody else. Right. Because if he's trying to really shepherd this himself, you know, there's only so many hours in the day for him to do so. I wouldn't be surprised if you see... You know, he's, he seems to me like an old-school comic guy, so maybe he'll be the guy to bring back backups as a major thing. And then maybe a backup spinning out into its own thing. I could see that, yeah. And then I get my final question from this is really if it if it does pick up, what does it mean for Vertigo? Does it mean anything? Oh, excuse me. Oh, I'm not yawning as that was a dull question because it wasn't. It's an excellent question. I'm just very very tired. Um, I um. Well, so here's the thing. Have you been reading any of the press releases that DC has put out for um, 
their exclusive contracts. Yes. All of them are uh, more or less worded as creating for both DC and Vertigo. I think Vertigo is going to become a place that is essentially a beefed up what Icon was for Marvel. Mm-hmm. A place for people to do their passion projects, but not have the necessary... Like, Vertigo used to have a certain cachet. You know, it was just... There was something different about it um, that felt special and felt... Uh, exclusive in a way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to feel that way anymore. Okay. I, th- I think Young Animal is going to take that place, but Vertigo is going to be the place for all of the... Uh, Sort the, of, the kind of creator-owned-esque things. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Which, wouldn't that be so interesting if it actually did become, like, a creator-owned imprint under DC to some degree? Like, if that's the place where... Because I feel like that would be a huge, um, like, selling point for DC if they had this area where their work-for-hire creators could come and publish their their, like, pet projects with a greater degree, like an almost like more image-esque degree of control. Well, I think that that's, you know, we have to wait until one of these expires and somebody walks away, unless they've signed an NDA, to talk about it. Because for years, I know that Vertigo maintained a certain percentage of the ownership of a a book, whereas with Image, Image Image owns nothing. The creators own it all, but you're right. If it would be, um, if it could be a place for creators to bring those books, I mean, that's a real blow to image, then, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, because it's kind of a best of both worlds. You know, you're getting the. I mean, I, I'm speaking as like someone who's never worked in comics, but it seems like you would be getting the the work for hire stability and with and then also be able to do your own projects all under the same banner with a degree of stability that I feel like would be really tempting. From what I understand too, DC exclusives get healthcare. Okay. Which is a, is a big deal for freelance people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you look at you know, when you, to me signing an artist to an exclusive is a little bit different. So signing an artist to an exclusive essentially means you're able to guarantee the artist a longer run on the title that they're on. But for a writer, because because almost no artist is doing two different books a month. I mean, no no artist, rather. But for a writer, you know, you can... If you can say, okay, I can own 100% of my book at Image, do a series at Image and a series at DC, or I can own 80% of my book do both under DC and get healthcare for me and my family. That seems like a pretty, a pretty easy. I mean, when I was a young man, maybe I'd have said, no man, fuck it. I'm an artist. But like as somebody who is, uh, you know, who's a more practical family man. Now I, I could see that as being a big pull for people. Yeah. This, um, you know, I don't want to like jump the gun and be like too, too over eager here, but this, it, it seems like DC may be turning over a new leaf here. 
Yeah. I don't, you know, I, uh, we'll, we'll just see. We'll see what happens. I but think, they may be, I feel like they're turning a corner. I feel like they're positioning themselves to turn a corner. Whether or not they turn that corner is a different yeah. story. They planted the, the pivot. They're ready to pivot, but if, yeah. it's just, yeah. And you know what's the biggest thing holding them back right now? What's that? Their movies. Oh, yeah. Because I, I feel like for the general public, that matters so much. And, you know, no matter how good the comics and the TV shows are, they're going to point to things like Suicide Squad and, and Quibble. Yeah, you're right. But let's move on because we've spent uh, 20 minutes on one book. <laughs> so, yeah. um, next up is Detective Comics 940, um, written by James Tynan IV, illustrated by Eddie Barrows. So, um, you know, we usually say this up top, but I'm going to say it here. We are a spoiler podcast. And so, if you didn't read this issue yet, don't keep listening. So, um, let's just briefly sum this up. Uh, Batwoman pulls her dad out of a uh, teleportation device uh, to make him essentially stand trial for what he's done. We see Tim take down a ton of uh, drones, but the second wave is coming, and he appears to take the brunt of it. And then, you know, we see the Bat family, specifically Bruce, Alfred, Duke, Damien, Dick, um, uh, Steph, I guess that's it, and then and, and Kate all react to him being gone, and they're obviously destroyed. There's a beautiful scene, excuse me, my allergies are going crazy today, a beautiful scene with uh, Steph and Bruce sharing their grief and uh, Steph shows the acceptance letter to Ivy University that Tim got and um, and then we see it sort of pulls back and we see that Tim is not dead he's been taken by Mr. Oz coming over from uh, Action Comics and Superman and uh, the DC Universe Rebirth special and we see that he is placed in a cell of some kind. And now there are two other folks in cells. And we kind of see their silhouettes, but not really. We know he took Doomsday, but neither of these silhouettes appear to be Doomsday-esque. But anyway, Tim is off the table. I want to read specifically what, what Mr. Oz says. He says, um, You were reconnecting threads that could not be reconnected. You're so loved so deeply intertwined, it became crucial that we take you off the field. And that's where you are, Tim, off the field. So overall, what were your thoughts of this issue? Man, I loved this issue. This, this, oh man, this book. Um, first of all, I think it's maybe the my favorite thing that I've ever read from James Tynion. Um, I think, you know, Vince, representing Vince because he's not here, like, um, this was a great payoff to this first arc. And Vince was hooting he, and hollering, as he, as he put it, about this issue. I, he was, and I think, and you know, he was one of the, like, biggest detractors, I think, starting out. Um, because he felt like the voices of the characters weren't quite as strong as they should be, quite mm-hmm. as unique. Um but I think that has like that really shown through here and like a lot of things, you know, you mentioned 
um, the stuff with Steph and Bruce and just how, you know, Tim, how he goes out that, you know, that was a, a huge moment for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, and just, uh, the, the art in this issue was fantastic. And Ed, yep. Eddie Barrows is doing the best work of his career. I think. Here. Oh, absolutely. Um, the coloring was fantastic. Um, I forget who's the colorist. Um, I'll look it up. Keep talking. It's uh, uh, oh, I've got it right here. It's uh, Adriano Lucas. Yes. Colors. Fantastic work here. Um, this was just great. And also the ending, which we can get to that in a minute. But what what were your thoughts? What was, what was your reaction? Well, I, I really enjoyed the book. So to me, there were three things they had to do here. If they were going to kill Tim, they had to give him a hero's exit. And they did that. Like the way that he that he redirected those drones to himself was as heroic as we've seen a character be in, in a comic in a long time. If they weren't going to kill him, they had to give a way that didn't feel like a super cheap way out. Like, you can say what you want about a character being pulled out in this way. Yeah, is it a little bit cheap? Sure, I'll give you that. But I feel like there's a difference between this and so many other deaths in terms of like the the, the way that they're going to retcon their way out of it. This was very clean and very um. It made sense. It, there was an internal logic. I mean, it's still superhero logic, you know. But 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 there's an internal logic to what happened here. And the third thing was, if they were going to take Tim off the table, they had to show how much it would gut the Bat family. And obviously there's a lot more time for that, but in this issue, I mean, we saw we saw how much it gutted the Bat family. Just the panel of Damien sitting there with his hands in it, with his like his his face in his hands. Like Damien doesn't show emotion that often. Uh that is Damien, right? I'm looking at that right? That that's um No, I think that's Cass. Is it Cass? Okay. Yeah. I was I was I was looking at it quickly. I wasn't sure. Um you're right, that's Cass. Um, so even so, I mean, that, 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 that changes it a little bit, but I mean, you even get Clayface looking sad, you yeah. know? Um, I think overall it was just handled so well. Yeah. I mean, just that, that last panel before the drone strike mm-hmm. where he just is like resigned to his fate and, you know, like you know you almost get chills oh absolutely like just yeah. with how well paced it was and yeah i i mean i thought if this was how he was going to die i bought it yeah yeah um now uh we should talk about the ending in a second but I know that there there is some chatter out there about people not being pleased that the book was sold as a bat team book with Tim as a co-lead. And Tim is being taken out of the book for a while now. And how people might be upset over that. I guess I understand that. Because if you were buying the book specifically for Tim and you're not getting Tim... I suppose that makes a little bit of sense. But to me, this book was never just the Tim 
book. And I feel like when Tim comes back, not if, when Tim comes back, I could see the book becoming way more about him. Well, let's think about like what this means. I guess kind of getting into the end. Um, so Tim is now a prisoner of Mr. Oz. Mm-hmm. That that places him at the center of not like not just one book, but the entire going ons of yeah the re- the you know DC Rebirth event. You know, right now it makes him like the the, the third or fourth most important character in the universe in a decade. Right, right. Like I'm already. I, I read this scene and I just immediately pictured in my head the the big climactic reentrance in whatever event book is going to come in the next year or two. Right. Where, um, you know, Tim is he reappears and like how big that's going to be for for this character and you know i immediately got really excited um yeah for the folks who say that tim is not respected enough to me this is the the greatest sign of respect for the character right yeah i mean I, you know just that the the quote that you read i think speaks to that and also just what a fascinating like way to bring out kind of what rebirth has been about yeah um, this is, I think, probably the biggest example of that that we've gotten since the Rebirth special and the Barry and Wally stuff. Um, man, that is such a great moment, I think. Yeah, and I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, this actually reminded me of the death of Superman. Uh-huh. In so much that when you look back on it now, you know that Superman wasn't really dead, but you got to see the world mourn him, and you like the reader himself or herself was mourning him. Now that's a little bit different. Now we get to see the world mourn Tim, but we know he's okay. And to me, that is, again, a sign of DC's respect for the character. Like, this, this to me just reads very much like DC is setting up Tim to be really important. And it's funny because I feel like if you're, if you've been paying attention the last few years, Dick has been so important. And, you know, we talk a lot about how comics are perpetually in the second act and how there's not really ever change. And while I agree with that in a lot of ways, I feel like the Robins have become way more important the last four or five years than they were ahead of time, and this continues that trend. And uh, and also, you know, I I realize that this is also the 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 this basically the exact same way that the first arc of Action Comics ended with. Which I, is an interesting coincidence, considering you know action and detective right. are are you know two sides of the same coin. Um, but for, for one, on one hand, like this was just handled so much better, you know. Well, yeah. This there's actual weight here. The well, I mean, part thing was part that, of it is who keeps a shit about Doomsday, you exactly, know. But... Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I I don't know. As someone who really gets excited for big events that are you know 
teased out and like very well like the foundation is slowly built and you lead into this big story um i mentioned earlier today about like the build-up to infinite crisis and how much i enjoyed that the right. stuff with, like maxwell lord and blue beetle and, and all of that and this reminds me of that um just how kind of like intricately the pieces are being moved around and this is i mean i'm more interested in like mr oz than i ever expected to be now Agreed. Yeah, um, I love huge universe-shaking stories. I love, you know, like, I'm the sucker who has every single book that had the brightest day banner on the top of it. <laughs> like, I have all those Hawk and Dove issues. You know, I'm that guy. You know, because I, I love these sort of, like, you know, era-defining events and what spins out of them. Right. And, and the build-up to them. So long. I you know I feel like I know we had Forever Evil, but it didn't feel like that. Yeah, um, we haven't had anything really like that. I don't think since Blackest Night. Yeah, probably. That I mean, really, because like Flashpoint was its own thing that didn't really matter. Right. So we've kind of had it like in individual books or individual lines right but not as broadly as this yeah um so i i texted vince and i had him give me all of his pull pirate and pulp answers okay so he's pulling this i'm pulling this i only presume you're pulling this yeah uh definitely this this issue um if we were doing power rankings this uh -huh. issue skyrocketed to the top for me <laughs> yeah um this book is it's up there if not in my top three like just precariously close yeah we're gonna do another top 10 i want to say is this is september the last month with new books for a while <laughs> maybe other than like the minis i think yeah okay so maybe at the end of this month we'll do a, a ranking of our favorite rebirth books so far good idea okay. um yeah okay let's move along to the other number one this week uh, technically not a rebirth book, at, at least if you believe the the cover dress, uh, Gotham Academy second semester. I don't want to spend too much time on this. There's not a lot to spend time on, right? If um, you liked the other old Gotham Academy stuff, you're gonna like this. Yeah, it's very much in the same vein. Not much, you know. This is a continuation, but it was good. Yeah, it was very good. Um, I, I think it's um. You know, my my enthusiasm for the Gotham Academy book waned a little bit, um, and that's not a uh, necessarily a knock on Gotham Academy, the book. I just felt like when it when it first was announced, it was something so new and fresh and different, and I just kind of fell off of it because other things demanded my attention. That doesn't mean it's bad. I think it's very good. I think it's interesting. I think it's a, it's a good look for DC to have a book in this type of genre. My my question is, you know, a is it ever going to really cross over in a meaningful way with with other books? And b if this creative team were to leave, could the book be sustainable? My answers to those two questions are. For the first question, I don't think it really needs to. Um, mm -hmm. We saw some of that in the last volume with the in-game one-shot and the Robin Wars tie-in. And I don't think either of those things 
benefited the book necessarily. I don't right. know that they necessarily hurt it either, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that's necessary. Um, I think we get, you can get like little, little crossovers within the book, like characters coming in, you know, you know, like Damien showing up or, or Bruce or something like that. And I think that's fine because this is definitely more, I think this been skews more towards the, the, the self-contained storyline because of its unique tone. It's hitting a different audience primarily. Um, and then to your second question, like, no, I think this book is stands squarely on the creative team. Even though it's a new art team for this volume, I agree with you. Um, well, and the art team rotated a little bit in the last volume. That right. it wasn't always a, it wasn't always a constant. No, but there's a certain tone that the art exactly. takes. Um, right. So Vince says he's going to pirate this. He says. Um, Gotham Academy has never gotten back to how good it was for its first seven or so issues. And I don't disagree with that. I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm pirating it because I like it, but it's never going to jump to the top of my to-read pile. And it's not bad. It's not going to pulp it. You know, so yeah. uh, pirate's where it is for me. I, I want to say pull on this just because I, I didn't give the last volume the attention that I kind of wish I had for similar reasons, like you said, there were, you know, there was just a lot out there to give my attention to. Um, but I, I really do like what this is book, this book is doing and kind of like what it represents for DC. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to pull this. And be, before I'm, I, we drop this, I just want to be remiss if I didn't say that Adam Archer is the new, um, artist on the book. The book was, uh, the plot was by Brandon Fletcher, Blake, Becky Cloonan, and Carl Kershaw, and Kershaw and Fletcher did the script together. So, um, there you go. It's a, um, and Rob Haynes did the breakdowns. Um, yeah, there we go. That's Gotham Academy. That brings us to All-Star Batman number two, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by John Romita Jr., and Declan Shalvey in the backup. Um, I think all of us were blown away by how much we enjoyed the first issue. Not that we expected there to be a uh, a Snyder-written Batman book we didn't like, but I feel like all of us were extraordinarily enthused by it. And while I enjoyed this issue quite a bit, it didn't quite have the same magic as the first one, and I think that's because... Um, I think John Romita Jr.'s art was considerably less sharp than it was in the first issue. Uh, yeah, I will agree with you that that is the um, the slight drop off in this issue. I think story wise, it's still like I I was still like very enthused with it. Um, just like as I was reading through it, just because. It's just so it's so different, I think, than the new Fifty Two Snyder run, Snyder Capullo run. Just, this this feels it, freewheeling. Yeah, and it's just it's so. You you know sometimes we get these kind of like, like over the top like throw everyone in the rogues gallery at Batman just to elevate the story or make it you know what I mean, mm -hmm. and this this kind of has that but i don't feel like that's i don't get that feeling from it you know 
I feel like the stakes are very high. Yeah, I agree with that. Even even though even though it's still even though on the on the surface it's a pretty small concept, it's you know, it's just like get get two faced to this certain place. Um and I I think that's maybe why it works. It's not, you know, like huge it's not like Batman Hush, I feel like, where everything was so dramatic and over the top and there's the whole rogues gallery and everything is just big this this i don't know there's something about this that i i can't quite put my finger on but i really enjoy it yeah um you know john Romita's art is something that when he is on like last issue was great i really enjoyed it this issue, there were a couple of moments where his art took me out of the story, just just ever so slightly. Um, his penguin. <laughs> well, that that being one of them, yes. Um, you know, his his penguin just looking like a corpse that had been in a, in a river for a while, like you know, just bloated and pale, and uh, you know, he he has like four hundred teeth somehow. He has his tiny little chocolate teeth. Um, but overall, I thought this was. Um, so this is going to sound like an insult, and I don't mean it that way. To me, this is the closest we've had. Let me let me back up. This issue read like a much better written installment of Tom King's Batman. I can see that. Where King's Batman is just so balls to the wall with everything he does, you know, and is so, um, I, I think just throws caution to the wind faster than, than other Batmans do. And this reminded me of that, but this was a well-written version of that. I can, yeah, I can agree with that. I have, um, two gripes with the issue and they're both minor. Um, the first one being, I know, I like, and I know how, that it's purposeful to have this book told out of order, but there were times that was distracting. Um, chronologically, having things done out of order, uh, it usually works. It worked in parts, didn't work throughout the whole issue. And why did they drop the KG from the KG Beast? Yeah, I don't know. That was weird. The Beast, especially because when you know Snyder talked about him a little bit on Twitter. He, he posted some teases and he referred to him there as KG beast. Right. So kind of strange. Have you noticed that with the, the, the time jumps, they are all two everything. Yes, they are. That's clever. It's, you know, 20 hours, two days, mm-hmm. um, little things like that. Yeah. I, I'm glad that we finally saw that boomerang from the, First yeah. issue cover come into play. I was really, I was really wondering about that. <laughs> yeah, glad we didn't have to wait too long for that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Vince says he's pulling this, but uh, he wants to note that Ramita's art slipped a bit. Yeah, but you know whose art didn't slip? Declan Shalvey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's a the backup's been really good. And did you hear this week that Snyder? teased a Duke series spinning out of this? No, I did not. Yeah. That's interesting. It is. It is very interesting. 
Um, yeah, no, I, I like this book. I'm excited to see where it's going. The $5 price tag is a, a little steep, but um, it, it definitely feels like the, the kind of premier Batman book that we've come to expect from Snyder and company. Right. Well, see, so here's the thing. Do I like the $5 price tag? No. If um if I had to cut a bat book from my poll, I mean I would cut regular Batman cuz I don't buy shit. But you know, um uh you know, but I, this would be an easy one to cut because of the price tag. That said, Snyder is the most accomplished bat writer of the last decade. John Romita Jr is among the most revered artists in all of comics. Declan Shalvey is one of the up-and-coming superstars of comics right now. You put the three of them together on a book, you can, I, can, I can understand the justification of the cost. Um, yeah. I, I'm still pulling it, though. Yeah, me too. Okay, that brings us to Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number two, uh, written by the Bensons. Illustrated by Claire Rowe. Um, I know we were texting earlier in the day and you had held off reading this one because you weren't too excited about it. After reading it, are you still not that excited about it? Yeah, I'm just really not into this very much. And I, I you know, I want to be, but it, it kind of just feels like an also ran to the the main Batgirl book uh-huh. in some ways. And I don't particularly care for this version of of the Huntress. And it's just it's not a bad book, but it kinda of, it's it's kind of the same feeling I get when I go to read Harley Quinn. Like I, I open it up and I just see words and I don't care to read them. <laughs> which is the most like un uncritically you know, it's not that's not a reasonable critique of a book. But I mean that but, that describes my Harley Quinn experience completely. Yeah. I so. I have a softer experience than you. Um I don't like the cutesy descriptions for every place they go. Mm-hmm. Gotham Streets, where a lot can happen between now and all the time. Um there's another one or two. GCPD Safe House. Safe is in the name. Definitely nothing horrible will happen here. Like, it's just it's a little bit too cute for its own good. I think that there are some nice character moments in here, but it's not my favorite of the books featuring Jim Gordon or Batman or Batgirl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think if you are a, a Batgirl fan or a Birds of Prey fan, this is actually, like, a very good book for that for the fan because I think it it fleshes out Batgirl a little bit more you know it's a nice companion book to her main book and you're also getting the Birds of Prey dynamic so I think it definitely um, its existence is definitely justified but it's just not really something I'm excited for yeah Uh, Vince says he's pirating it that sounds fair to me Uh, are are you pirating or pulping it I, I'm going to move to Pulp, um, not because it's bad, but just because I'm. Uh, it's not – it's on the, you know, the, the bottom 
five percent of my reading pile. Okay, that's totally fair. Um, that brings us to Deathstroke number two, written by Christopher Priest. Breakdowns this issue and going forward by the legendary Larry Hama, for, former uh, our cosmic guest Larry Hama, and illustrated by Carlos uh, Pagalion. Um, so this book, I have to, I have to come clean here a bit. Vince loves this book, uh-huh. <laughs> and he's been telling me and you in text how great it is. And both issues, oh, sorry, all three issues I've read now, I've read kind of cramming for the podcast. And it's not so, a good way to read the book. <laughs> no, it's not. And like this it's book, not. there's a lot going on in this book. And so today I made a conscious effort to read this book first. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't like staring at my clock trying to finish it. And I enjoyed it way more. And this is the book I'm going to reread this weekend. Yeah, um, I, I have made the same assessment. I need to reread the series from the beginning in one setting and kind of give it the attention I would give to a, a you know, a densely written comic book. Yes, there's a lot going on here. There's and, a, and it's handled really well. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm kind of sad Vince isn't here because I have a comparison I want to make that I feel like he would really appreciate. But I feel like this is if this is what would happen if DC tried to make a like Metal Gear Solid comic. I don't know if you're very. Are you familiar with Metal I mean, Gear at all? I know what Metal Gear is. I don't know nothing about uh, it though, so I'm not. I mean, it's kind of just—it's the same, like you know, military industrial complex kind of setting. Lots of mercenaries, but just extremely convoluted with a lot of like weird pseudoscience and just it kind of insanity. Like I—I I feel like this this Deathstroke is Solid Snake, pretty much. <laughs> okay. Um, and I can't. I I want to know what I want Vince's reaction to that. Well, Vince can tweet us at Brian is an app at Sir Fox eighty nine to uh, <laughs> tell us all about it. Um, but I said having read this one slower and decided I'm going to go back and reread the, the series, it it does make it a pull book for me, only because I think Christopher Priest is doing really interesting work here, and I think that Deathstroke is a book that is so easy to dumb down. I mean, look at what Rob Liefeld did to it. And that's, that's not a shot at Liefeld necessarily, but, you know, it's a really easy book to make the lowest common denominator comic out of. Yeah, and this it's definitely not that. Yeah. Um, there is a lot going on here. Yeah, so uh, Vince is pulling it. I am I'm on the border of pulling Pirate, but I think after my reread, I'll be firmly in the pull category. Yeah, I kind of think so, too. Um I wish it had like some kind of I see I'm just I'm also not I'm very unfamiliar with Deathstroke's history. Okay. Um and a lot of the, you know his family I I know kind of like the broad strokes. And I think that kind of, you know, hurts my my perception of it too. Mhm. Because so much of it is built on his history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if this is not unlike Doom Patrol in that for people who aren't huge Deathstroke marks to begin with, they're not going to get some of the book. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Next up comes Red Hood and the Outlaws, number two, written by Scott Lobdell, 
illustrated by Dexter Soy. Um, I'm not gonna bury the lead. I like this. Yeah, it was it was good. I'm or it. I mean, I don't feel like I'm overstepping by saying that it was good. It was it it's was not a good great, Jason Todd book. But it's, it's a good Jason Todd book. Yeah, Artemis was well written. Mm-hmm. It's fun. She wasn't a. She was an actual character. Yes. You know? Yeah, she has motivations and everything. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. If this is the Red Hood and the Outlaws that we're getting in Rebirth, I am tickled pink. Yeah. I can't believe I'm saying yeah. this. I can't. I can't either. Um, yeah, this was a surprise. It's still, you know, not I, gritty. Gritty, like. This is the dark trinity. That's like what that represents, and that's you know not something I'm terribly interested in. Mm-hmm. But for what it is, it it's in, it's enjoyable. It's not the old Red Hood and the Outlaws. I got an actual chuckle out of this book, like a legitimate laugh point out of this. Book. <laughs> I'm trying to find the line now because I I feel like all Lobdell wants to do is to get you to laugh sometimes. And I've never laughed at anything that he's written um, until now. Oh, now I'm not going to be able to find it. Is, Is it the it... text box on the cover? The the text bubble? No, but that was that was a that that to, to me. I just read that in Stan Lee's voice. Yeah, I guess Amazons don't have a word for Uncle Excelsior. Like you know, it's just right there. Um, but no, uh, Artemis and. Uh, and Jason have their um, are having their like their witty banter back and forth, and uh, he uh, where is it? Essentially, Jason is trying to tell Artemis what he's good at, and she says like I don't know what you're good at, and eventually she says like. I've got it. It's like, what? What's the point? It's like, no, I figured out what you're good at. It's just yelling the obvious loudly or something like that. Like, it was actually a good line. It was about him, like, you know, just not uh, not being the most observant character. And it just felt very, um, it was it was funny. I don't know. It was it was good. It was well-written. It was... Yeah, and, you know, Dexter Soy is a great fit for this book. Oh, yeah, he is. Here it is. Uh, she goes, I think I've got it now. He says, a way out? She goes, no, I think you excel at shouting out the obvious. Yeah, you know, it was well. It was well worded. It was funny, and Dexter Soy is doing really nice work here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did that first Captain Marvel run with Kelly Sue DeConnick back right. in the day, and uh, I've been a fan of his ever since. I think I think he's a good fit here. Bravo, Dexter. Mm-hmm. Bravo. Um, Vince is pirating this. I just, I know he's not, I know he's pirating of his parroting rather whatever Vince says because I'm reading his first, but. Um, I'm going to pirate this book, too, for a while. I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, yeah, I agree. Oh, man. A book I'm not pirating is Suicide Squad, written by Rob Williams, illustrated by Jim Lee, and this week's backup, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. Um, this is not a good comic. I will say I enjoyed the backup. Okay, the, the can, can, can I ask? Can I ask a really dumb question? Uh huh. Because maybe maybe I missed something along the way. Is the, is it like canon that Captain Boomerang shits his pants all the time? Oh, 
I don't know. Is that because because that's mentioned in both the backup and the main story? Well, is it canon that uh, Cro- Cap- uh, Killer Croc like throws up all the time? Because <laughs> and, that's happened in two issues now, <laughs> and, and screams barf as he does it. <laughs> <laughs> he just loves onomatopoeia. So barf. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh man! I don't know what the obsession with the gastrointestinal situation of the team is. Um, yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> uh, I I I chuckled at Harley Quinn wearing a T-shirt that says "Rebirth" on it. <laughs> uh, I think we talked about that last time, maybe, but I forgot about that. Um, I was not as impressed with the secret team member reveal as I hoped I'd be. Well, yeah, because it's 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 a new character, right? It's not a pre-existing character. No, no, it is. Or, or is she? Not she. Well, well I'm talking. I don't. I don't think. See, okay, so here's a, maybe a point of contention. I didn't take um, the the last page reveal to be the new team member. I thought that was the the hack, the girl that they found along the way. All right. See, now when I interviewed Rob Williams about this, he said there was going to be a surprise team member you'd never see coming. Now, okay. obviously, if it's a new character nobody knows exists, you can't see that coming. So I guess he could be accurate in that way. But I okay. feel like he means General Zod. Okay, see, I wasn't sure if we were supposed to take him as the new team member or, like, the first major villain. That or the team both, faces. possibly. Or it could be both. You're right, you're right. Yeah, with this book. But, but again, I was disappointed that it wasn't the comedian. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Man, Vince is missing out on all the good stuff this week. I know. I really thought it was going to be the comedian, and it might still be, the comedian might still be a part of this book, but might be. Um, but yeah, Zod. I you know I thought very interesting um, synergy with the films. Like obviously, I mean, I don't Zod is is dead in the movies. I don't think he'll ever be in in a future, heaven forbid, a future Suicide Squad movie. But. Oh you know, it's just another weird case of just brand synergism, you know? Now, you know what would have made this Zod much better? What? Flipper hands. <laughs> well, you know, I don't think we actually get a... Oh, I guess we do see his fingers when he, like, rips out of the... Yeah. Out of the <laughs> yeah, no flipper hands here. Man, no flipper hands. Uh, um, but yeah, um, I will say this, um, I don't like the fact that Zod now just looks like Steppenwolf. Yeah, which, I mean, the Jim Lee effect, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm pulping this book. Let me see what Vince said. I'm pretty sure he said pulp as well. Um, what about you? Oh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I did think that the backup was pretty funny, and I thought it was really good. After after last week's um, kind of contentious uh, Batman issue, I thought this was some very good work from him. Um, but... No, yeah, this book it it has all the makings of just like a very high profile comic, 
but just none of the substance, you know? It's interesting. This and Tom King's Batman were the two books I was like, yeah, can't wait to see what this writer does in this book. And both have been huge disappointments. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. That brings us over to Superwoman, uh, written and illustrated by mm-hmm. Phil Jimenez. I love this book. This book's in my top three, like, no doubt. Yeah, it's this, so I, good. I alluded, like, as good as the Gleason Tomasi Superman book is, this is, in my opinion, the best super title that DC is publishing right now. I mean, it has everything. Um, it does. It has Steel and Lana being adorable and awesome. It has um, a nice connection with... Um, it connects over to uh, to Batwoman a little bit, which was which is a really interesting yeah, with with, with Maggie Sawyer, Sawyer, which which is a really interesting connection to make there. Um, I think Lex is way better here than he is in action. Oh, way better! And on you know the character beats that they're hitting with him are the kind of stuff I would have expected to see in action. Yeah, you know, ha- having Natasha as a major character in the book mm-hmm. is is a great thing. Um. Even the end of the book having Lena Luthor, which is you know pretty, I think, predictable as the as the big bad. Well, it, it is in a way, but to me, it's also not because like that was a that was a big plot thread from the like John's Justice League, uh-huh. and I'm I'm very surprised to see that carrying over here. Well, uh, but I love that. For folks that listened to last week's interview with Phil Jimenez, he teases that he wants Lana Luthor to be the uh, the big bad of he, that he wants her to be Superwoman's arch nemesis. Uh, that would be great. Which is like such perfect synergy and such perfect um, parallelism between Superman and Superwoman. Um, yeah, I mean, I I know people are upset about Lois. I don't really think she's dead. But there's a whole other story. But Lana in the New 52 is just about the only super character that I could say is unequivocally better than she was pre-Flashpoint. Like, they got Lana right in the New 52, especially when Greg Pak took over writing her. And this, this is, is building off of so much of that. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this book, um, you know, artistically, like, Phil Jimenez is a, is a, a proven artist. You know, he, he does really great work but also you know vince vince had mentioned i think on twitter and and i agree with him is this book is a very densely written very verbose but it's never in a way that feels too wordy you know at least to me i agree Um, no everything feels every line of dialogue or description is in service to the overall story. This just feels like a book, like it feels like four issues have happened because mm-hmm. so much is going down in each issue. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it feels like a, an older take on comic writing and, and pacing and structure. And yeah. I, I, it's really refreshing. Yeah. And you know, as, as much as I love Phil Jimenez, it's nice that uh, Emanuela Lupicino is, is the alternating artist on this too. Right. So she'll be doing the next arc, yeah. which is which is now, really nice. This is a this is a huge surprise, I think, for me. 
I was excited about it, but this is I never expected this. No. Uh, I'm pulling this, and and so is Vince, and I presume so are you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, now we're just gonna fly through the rest of these books. There are so many books this week, folks. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's it's really crazy. Um, so we're just gonna go alphabetically. Um, action comics. Uh, I mean, as a thing that happened, I, 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 you know, I this book is kind of treading water a little bit for me. Yeah, I felt like this book had nine scenes of the same thing happening. Like, everybody doesn't believe that he's actually Clark Kent. But he says, like, what do I have to do to prove it to you? This could have been ha- This could have been a quarter of an issue in, in more capable hands. Yeah. But it's just dragged out. Um, I like Patrick Zercher's art. I think the book looked good. I actually think that he, there's a little bit of, uh, of John Romita Jr. in this issue, in the art in this issue. Uh, maybe in the, in, the, in the shape of Clark's face. It reminded me a bit of the Ramita issues of Superman. Um, but overall, this issue took 20 pages to do four pages worth of stuff. Yeah. I'm still pirating it because I like the idea of of action being the Metropolis comic. And that's something that, that um, Phil Jimenez mentioned, too, is that both action and Superwoman, they, they share Lex Luthor and they share Metropolis. Yeah, they they feel like, um, you know, like sister titles in a way. Yes, yeah, and so I'm still pirating it. Vince is pulping it though. He's uh, he's done with this book. No, I think I I'm gonna pirate it. Just I mean, pretty much for the same reasons that you mentioned. Yeah. All right, then we have the Flash number six, which reveals Godspeed's. Um, True identity. Um, it a, as we had presupposed, just because we 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 know how comics work. It is August. Um, August Hart. August Hart. Uh, despite the fact that that was sort of telegraphed, I think it was a very effective issue, and I think this book continues to be uh, a great high concept superhero comic. I agree. Oh, and the the crisis on Infinite Earth nod. Yes, yes, but that's impossible. He said that's that's impossible. Yeah, um, that was that was a really good that was a good moment. I it like it was a good moment, and I think that this gives you know like for a character that was introduced only six issues ago in August Heart, I think we have a good understanding of who he is and what he's all about, and I think that his his turn to supervillainy makes more sense than a lot of other supervillain turns do. You know, it, it still feels a little bit abrupt, but I feel like this is better. It was never going to be a character that was introduced before the story started. Right. There was just there was just the understanding of the uh of the the, the speed force storm meant that one of the new speedsters was going to be the villain. So if it has to be somebody it being August makes sense. Yeah, no, this is very good. Um, this is a longer story arc than we've seen from some of the other books, but I, I feel like the pacing is still pretty pretty strong. Yeah. Um, I think we have two issues left of this story arc, and it feels like it's hitting about it's hitting the right points so far. Agreed. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I'm pulling this. Yeah, me too. And so is Vince. Okay. Uh, Green Lantern's number six. Despite this being labeled initially as a one-shot about uh, Jessica going over to Simon's house for dinner, it certainly was not that. It was the final piece of the of the first arc. We get more Red Lantern nonsense. We get a lot of monologuing. We get a comic I'm just not excited about. No. Like, this was better than the last couple. It was. The characterization was a bit stronger. But the dialogue was still wonky. Um, apparently we're going to have more Red Lantern stuff later, which yeah. is not what I want. Yeah. Although the idea of there being a new red entity like plays right into my like John's era nostalgia. So, I understand that, yeah. But but even that doesn't, you know, when when that can't even help the book. Um and just the whole MacGuffin about the, the Phantom Ring. Um if you if you read that page with with the Guardian, um here, let me pull it up. The way he describes he, like, it. Yeah, he said, uh, I was banished forever. I was banished forever ago for doing the unthinkable. No, not even the Cordians were insane enough to do what I did, but I did it anyway. I made a power ring that anyone can pick up, a ring anyone can use. Like, that is so lame, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not unthinkable. It's not. like I feel like in, almost anyone presented with the idea of like a power ring that requires like a, a strong like emotional tie to use, I feel like the first idea someone would have would be, hey, let's make one that anybody can use. Right. It'll be way more profitable. Definitely help our brand. Like, <laughs> uh, one of my favorite moments in all of Green Lantern comics is from the, not the issue of Green Lantern Rebirth, but from the story from, you know, uh, however many years ago, where Batman puts on the ring. Or is it Batman or is it Green Arrow? No, both of them. Well, no, no, it is Green Arrow. It's Green Arrow. Batman does it later. Right. And he, and he shoots it and he says to how does it hurt like that? Does it always hurt like that? And how does every time? Uh And it's just, you see that Hal is more than just, the, the the playboy pilot like that there's something that's really exacts a toll on him so I understand the idea that these rings are so intrinsic to their to their wielders that it's it's crazy to have a ring that anybody could wear but it's not unthinkable right and it also you know it kind of undermines that idea a little bit yeah you know, I I don't know where from a story standpoint I don't know where you you would go from this and I guess that's fine you know I'm not writing it. So maybe maybe there is a place to take this, but I I really don't know where you take something like this. The place that I see it naturally going to is that Jessica is still going to have a hard time making constructs. Uh-huh. And so she's going to put it on and be like, cool with it. But that kind of undermines her character then. Of course it's it like, does. You're, but... not, you're not special. You're, you're using the ring that anybody can re- use because you couldn't use yours. Yeah. Um. I don't know. We'll see. Not great, Zach. Not great. I hate being like I hate being super down on this book. I hate like talking about it. 
that way, but... But this is a triple pulp, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will say the art was a little bit better in this issue. Well, you had Will Conrad and Jack Herbert, both of whom were quite good. Mm. So, that's why. Um, that brings us to Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, Zach's favorite book, number one in his heart. Um, number one. <laughs> no. Um, Green Lantern good again. This this isn't that good. Um, no, it's not. I mean, it's it's something when you say that bringing uh, like Ethan Van Skyver is the secondary artist on this book. Yeah. You know. Um, to me, the biggest takeaway and bleeding cool scoop this. So Uncle Rich, thank you. Is that Hal Jordan's a boxer guy and and guy goes commando. <laughs> There's a whole article about that today on Bleeding Cool. Well, get, give the people what they want. Get the news out there. Exactly. Uh, no, you know, um, I have qualms with the characterization of just about everybody in this book. But I, I, I don't know. I thought like Guy was pretty spot on. Yeah, Guy was okay. Um, but yeah, everyone else was, was way out there. I feel like they've been trying to walk this line with Sinestro for too long now where he's his intentions are not good but he's not evil mm-hmm. and i understand why you want that out of sinestro but i just feel that it's harder to do than people think mm-hmm. and so he comes off as dull i don't like i I, let, I know that john stewart has been a marine in canon for a long time but i feel like the last couple years that's been the only personality trait they give him Right, it well, and you know, it used to be the the architect. Yes, exactly. Emphasized. Yeah, and I preferred the architect one. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to rebirth, I love that scene where Hal is describing the constructs of all the different lanterns. How he says, you know, Kyle's the artist, and John is the architect, and Kilowogs is the only ring that makes a noise when it shoots out. Like I love those little details, and I feel like so much of that stuff has been ignored for having John say like. Uh, yeah, Ooh, he's, he's, whatever at the end he's of the just book. the good soldier yeah. lantern because there wasn't really one of the those, right. And that's yeah. what he's just kind of relegated to. Yeah. Um and for a book with Hal Jordan in the title, Hal Jordan hasn't done much. Yeah. Except uh get cut open. Yeah. Real real big. And stitched back up. Um that's a pulp for me. I think Vince said he's in a pirate. Let me double check that, but I want to love this book. I'm just not. Yeah, he's I don't pirating even want to love it. I just want to like. I just want to like it. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm still pirating it. I'm still pirating it. Um, but yeah, we'll see. That brings us to New Superman number three, written by Gene Luen Yang, illustrated by Victor Bogdanovic. Um, I liked this the best of the three issues so far. I. I thought there were a couple of interesting parts in it, but I, I'm still not as sold on this book as Vince is. Yeah, this this one was also one that I put off a bit with Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't dislike it when I read it. There, there were there were things that I enjoyed, but I, I don't. It's just uh, I don't know. There's something about it I can't get. I just can't get interested. 
Um, so I have a couple questions for you. Yeah. The Freedom Fighters of China. Is that supposed? That's referencing like Uncle Sam and the Ray and those Freedom Fighters, right? You know what? I didn't even think of that, but I think you're right. Yeah, because the this guy who who's the is Flying the Dragon General. Oh, I, I was thinking the Blue Condor. Well, he's in like there a riff too. On, he's a riff on um, who was the the Freedom Fighter character, the Blackbird character, Black Condor, Black Condor. Yeah, I, seems like a riff on him. Yeah. And then the Phantom Phantom Lady, I guess, yes. would be the Ghost Ghost Girl. Yeah. Um. Yeah, man, that is a kudos to you for catching that. I didn't even think about that. I mean, to be fair, it just it does say Freedom Fighters. It's like I, I don't have the blackboard with all the strings attached to it. I just no, saw it, yeah. I mean, it does, but I di- I just didn't even make that connection that they were also a you know, uh, kind of, you know, parody version of that team. Yeah, which is weird because the Great Ten is part of this book too. Right. So there's like three distinct Chinese teams here. And on one hand, like I'm all for, for blowing up mythology and doing big stuff and, and adding a lot of new characters. But it just seems like a lot here. Um, I feel like this is the first book where Keenan doesn't feel like a total dickhead, mm-hmm. only a subtle one. Um, <laughs> well, they're, you know, they're, they're coming together. They're yeah. developing you know ties the character chemistry it's becoming something um what did you think about the aquaman jab uh, that was pretty funny i mean you know i'm a huge aquaman fan but you know it's pretty good i think it's interesting that somebody points out that his symbol is an octagon and that there there there's something to that I think that is associated with this uh like the doctor omen character yeah i think so too but it's nice to see that that um, it just it feels like there's more. This issue felt like there were there were layers to things, and that there are characters are talking about things that will be paid off later. And so I enjoyed this issue more than the last two. I'm pirating this book now. I think I was leaning towards pulping it, but I'm gonna pirate it now. And Vince yeah, is pulling this. I think I'm pirate as well. There are a lot of times where I think um, Bogdanovic's art has a very like Capullo esque oh yeah bent to it yeah absolutely especially in like like characters facial expressions I see it a lot yeah uh that brings us to our final book of the week Wonder Woman number six written by Greg Rucka illustrated by Nicholas Scott um this is I'm really enjoying the year one story. Mm-hmm. And Scott's art is just so good. Yeah, yeah. And did you notice? I maybe this has been the case in previous issues, but I didn't notice it. Did you notice who the colorist is? Uh, no, I didn't. Who is it? It's um, f- oh, I'm gonna butcher his name. Oh, um, uh, Romulo Fajardo. Uh huh. From Junior? Omega Man. Yeah. Great work here. Yes, absolutely. Um. I feel like Rucka just gets Diana to a certain degree. Now, I, I have I have a dumb dumb question for you here. Okay. Did Wonder Woman not have powers until those animals showed up? I guess not. Like at least not to like the degree that she does 
like that we know her, I guess. Right. Like it's definitely implied that she got super strength from the animal god. Yeah. People. Um, but yeah, we we meet a, a pre cheetah, Barbara Minerva. And, uh, I mean, I don't think this issue does anything different than the other ones did. If you liked the other year one stories, you're going to like this one. Um, I agree, yeah. I'm still pulling it, as is Vince. Yeah, no, I am too. This is good. It is good. Man, that was an hour and 20 minutes to get through all those books. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, we're not going to waste too much more of your time. But overall, this is a very strong week for comics. Yeah, I this is probably I think one of my like most enjoyable um weeks for DC Comics in a while and it's something I feel like I've been saying a lot since Rebirth happened. Yeah, I I I've been thinking about this. You know, we talked last week off the air a little bit about how bad some of the New 52 books were just just 6 or 8 months after they launched. And I feel like there's no book aside from maybe King's Batman or maybe Titans that feels like a huge disappointment. There are some things you're like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this and I don't like it, but there's not those like staggering failures we got from the New 52. Yeah, and you know, just the the like positive energy around the whole line I feel like is still holding up yeah. three or four months in. Yeah. And apparently sales are too, which is a huge surprise from to me. Um, yeah, considering the diminishing returns we've seen from you know things like DCU or the Marvel relaunches, I, right. I didn't expect this to kind of sustain the way it has. I wonder if the uh, the double shipping really helps. Maybe. Yeah. Um. Now take this with a grain of salt. But everything I'm hearing says that DC's going to be announcing a lot of stuff at New York Comic Con. Um, and I think we're going to see a second wave coming in January or February, maybe? It sounds like February, yeah. Um, do you think some of these books are going to go away by then or no? I think so. Um, I think a handful probably will because we'll be hitting... By then, we'll be around the like twelve plus issue mark for a lot of them, uh-huh. a lot of the double shipping ones. And I mean, I'm sure there, I'm sure there will be a few casualties because I think what in the first big kind of like New Fifty Two cancellation, we lost eight books. I think, yeah, or no, maybe it was six. Hey, it was six or eight, yeah, something like that. I, you know, I, I kind of see a similar attrition for Rebirth. See, I feel like the line is just so much trimmer. I wonder if we're going to see some twice-monthly books go monthly. I could see that happening. I don't know. I wonder – that that would be an interesting thing because I wonder how readers would react to that if they if you know they, they bought onto a book knowing that it was monthly and then for it to go bi-monthly. See, I, I think the opposite is going to happen. Like I could see – Green oh, Lanterns. you're saying the, the other way. Okay, yeah, I could see Green Lanterns going down to once too. a month. I could see that. And that would be an interesting way to kind of like... Well, actually, you know, I wonder if a book is... I mean, I if a book is underperforming as a double shipper, you would think bringing it down to once a month would 
make it. I mean, you're going to you're, you'll lose half the monthly sales then, which would bring it back in line close to you know like a a new fifty two, you know, cancellation candidate. Right. That's true too. Yeah. My big prediction is you're going to see the two Green Lantern books come together. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Probably there'll be some kind of crossover event and we'll get just a one Green Lantern book again. For now. I mean, eventually it'll split again. Because Green Lantern can sustain two books a month. We've seen that, so. Yeah. So we'll see. But anyway, that does it for this installment of the DC3 cast. You can find our our uh, fallen cohort on Twitter at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. You can find me on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. And Zach, where can folks find you? I'm at SirFox89. With a fancy new avatar lately. No, it's the same one, I think. I haven't changed it. But you changed it like within the last month or so, haven't you? I don't think so. Um, it's a fox no, of some a- sort now. Yeah, it's actually it's a it's a star fox. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, only it's a real fox. Yeah, I think I changed it a few months ago, oh, okay. but it's it's still fairly new. You also don't tweet it all that often. It looks so. I don't. Yeah, I don't. It just looks so futuristic. It does. That's that true. You, that you thought it had to be new. Yeah, I blocked two people today. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to call them out on air? No, I, I made a joke, and one of them took like it was a joke that i really think hurts almost no one i took a shot at a band in the rock and roll hall of fame mm-hmm. so like they don't need the birds don't need my sales okay they've been in the rock and roll hall of fame for years and one guy was like yeah it's not funny and i was like you're right you're blocked <laughs> and uh so <laughs> the other guy was like he quoted my tweet and said uh i see you're a fan of gyms you should check out my gyms website and, like, first of all, if you know me, you know I'm not a fan of gyms. But second of all, nothing about what I said about the birds has to do with your gym. So, blocked him, too. So, what I'm saying is don't mess with me on Twitter. I will block you. <laughs> Just don't even try. Don't even – don't come at me, bro. Don't. <laughs> um, but we'll be back next week with Vincent Toe for another installment. Of Night, everybody. Sweet, sweet.